welcome everyone. Here we are, episode 36 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. And today we've got a very special guest. We've got a special guest who's going to talk about, I guess the, the larger theme is the things we can't leave behind. But we are excited to chat about and just go through some of those things that we can't leave behind because that is something that we have spoken about lots. We've spoken about on the Facebook group, but also in, in past um, episodes. So things that we cling on to. T, I know you're excited too. I am because C grew up in church. Unlike us, we sort of came in a little bit later, still quite young, but we certainly weren't brought up in it. And she was also on staff at Christian City Church, which later got rebranded as C3. And I want to say PO. It's really cool to have her here because she's another person that whilst she was a teenage fundy, she was also one of these middle leaders in the church who got to see the inner workings of a different denomination this time. Although she was involved, from what I understand, she was also involved in Hills Christian Life Center, which later became Hillsong, but it's specifically around C3. So I think that's going to be quite cool. So why don't we throw straight over to you, C, and say g'day. Thanks, T. Um, yeah, hi. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I, you know, I really hope that a bit of my story is helpful to other people and maybe gives people some some things to think about for for what you know what the future holds for them in terms of their life and faith journey. Yeah, I think it was interesting when we were getting ready to hit record that we started talking and already the conversation started to flow because we had so much in common and we wanted to know so much about your story. So I'm sure this is actually going to be a really, really good episode. But starting off, why don't we ask you who you are now? And then from there, if you could tell us your journey and how you ended up as as a Pentecostal. I guess like a lot of people who listen to the potty here that still developing how I identify myself in terms of faith like do I know some people say oh I can't call myself Christian I cringe at that these days or so I'm still in that journey and I think that's part of it is it's still working through and processing bits of the deconstruction to look towards what that reconstruction is going to be and that's still that's a constant progress process I guess so for me now I certainly don't attend or haven't attended a, a church for a very long time. So probably somewhere between maybe 18 years. But the interesting thing and why the concept of this, you know, all that stuff we can't leave behind, I think is fascinating because it still feels like it was yesterday. You know, the, the personalities, the people, the the sense of being part of something bigger than yourself, the sense of feeling you're connected with uh, lots of people, that sense of safety that you get from that, like all of those kind of things that we think that I think back to to my time within um, within the the great big CCC is um, you know you know those are some of the good things I want to hold on to or see how can I reproduce those things in life now. So yeah, definitely still processing, definitely still learning, and really feeling like. The, the rose-coloured glasses have come off a while ago and I'm starting to see things a whole lot clearer outside of, you know, so we used to call it sometimes the biosphere. You know, you think of the biosphere in the desert was this thing where the, the climate, it was climate controlled. And when you step outside of the climate controlled environment, how much brighter and unique and fresh air and other kind of experiences you can have when you meet and interact with other people on different journeys. That's a really long answer, guys. <laughs> no, no, I don't think it is. And, you know, certainly we'll unpack that more as we, we 
talk more through the the episode. But it is those things, and you know, some people would sit by. Particularly, some people are still in the fold and go see. They can't let go of it because it's real. But no, you know, for us, I think it's about the elements of it. That that seeking of community. I mean, that's natural. That's natural stuff. And for us to be part of something, uh, it doesn't have to be a belief system as such. I think, but it's just that community, that connectedness with people is so incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's pretty tribal, like when you think about it, and I've been doing, you know, a lot, I am a bit of an overthinker at times, but you go back to very fundamentally in terms of who we are as a, as a, as beings, as humans, as people, as coming out of caveman and gee, that's controversial. Oh my God, evolution. But you know, you, what was it in the caveman time where um, you needed to be part of a tribe? You needed to have that connection to people. It was for safety. You had to protect yourselves from the woolly mammoth. You had to work together to find food and to forage and to, you know, be able to fight the other tribe from the other side of the of the valley. You know, and that sense of strength in numbers and that strength in having each other there was was vital to your very survival. You know, I think that is a huge sense and that safety you got from being part of the tribe is what so many of us got or get, you know, within that sense of a church environment. So you had this at the very beginning, right, in, in church. You were actually raised in a church community. Can you tell me about that? I kind of think of it sometimes like the slippery slope to Pentecostalism. So my parents were Anglicans. We were traditional Anglicans. We grew up um, going to the local Anglican church. My parents were always involved in, you know, the parish council or mum was playing the organ. And so it was always a part of my life, you know, in Sunday school. So from a very young age, like I've actually never known anything different. Every Sunday was at church and dad's running the, the, the men's breakfasts and, and mum's on the ladies, you know, whatever. And I think that's for, for leaving actually was that if you have come out of that kind of experience where you've actually known nothing else in your life, to actually step away from the tribe and to move away from that is incredibly difficult um, because it's it's not just your your existential stuff about faith that you're questioning, but it's also the stuff about who you are as a person because your whole personality and your whole being has grown up within that framework. From the Anglican end of the spectrum, my parents then somehow, I don't know what happened in their lives, but they moved away from there and we ended up at at the Baptist church, quite a large Baptist church. And from the Baptist church, you know, and then it was the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which was a small um, church that was very overseas missions focused. And then, oh, there was maybe drums in the service. And and then I don't know how, but they ended up, and obviously I was a kid at the time, so I just, where, where they went, I followed. It was actually Christian Life Center. Um, it wasn't Hills. It was a smaller, smaller one, not as big as the Hills Christian Life Center but within the AOG, so the not-so-big AOG, I think there was sort of a congregation of around maybe 350, 400-ish kind of thing at the time. So let's call that medium-sized AOG. Medium-sized AOG. And, yeah, in that place my parents became very, very involved from a, a lay pastoral point of view 
and I kept trying to connect into the youth group, you know, and I loved your episode about, you know, speaking in tongues. It's just like, you know, just, just let it flow now. Just saying, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, hang on, that exact same experience happened to me. See, could you speculate on why you think your parents were ultimately attracted to moderate sized AOG or whatever we chose to call it? What was it, do you think, that took them... You know, because they were obviously church hopping a little bit, and I don't say that to disparage them, right? I would have once upon a time, but they—they're obviously looking for something. What—what what do you think made them s- settle there? One of the triggers I think that they had was, and this is back at Baptist Land, was doing a thing called BSF Bible Study Fellowship, and it's a pretty intense, um, from from my memory pretty intense um, getting into the Bible and there was homework and there was reading each week and you'd go like going to school, like doing a sort of a night class thing. And I think that when they started reading and really getting into discovering the Bible for themselves, they were hungering for more and they felt, and I guess it was maybe a teaching thing, but also irrelevant. So they originally got saved at Billy Graham back in, you know, the 50s, Billy Graham Crusades. Don't you hate that word? crusades like the crusade was attached to yeah crusade has a lot of baggage oh my gosh yeah anyway so what attracted my parents I think I honestly I don't know I was it that they felt there was that vibrancy an active a social part to it as well I think in terms of them wanting to connect more into a community rather than just coming in to plug in play the piano or the organ and plug out again I think they were looking for more of that that connection themselves that's all that's all I can think of and and they both have have been all their lives a very caring pastoral type people wanting to get into oh shudder Christian counseling and help you know help people in that way which is a very Anglican thing to do, isn't it? That whole Christian counselling thing that's very strong in the in the Anglican tradition as much as it is in in Baptist. I, I don't know, you know, in in Pentecostalism, at least my experience, there wasn't a whole lot of counselling. There was a lot of advice, but I don't know that there was a whole lot of whole lot of counselling. So let let's jump back into you. You're, you're now in a in moderate sized AOG. You're you know being coached to speak in tongues. You're now a part of this. What what happened from there? The moderate-sized AOG didn't have a big, great youth group. More moderate-sized youth group. <laughs> <laughs> moderate-sized youth group. And, you know, I'm just one of those people. I've always felt a little a little bit different to everyone and never really felt like I fitted in. For one way or another, one reason or another, I found myself at Great Big CCC in the big warehouse they used to have which was, you know, it's quite close to and connected at that time, quite a surfy, very super casual, laid back kind of a culture. And I'm I'm fascinated by different cultures within churches in terms of the types of people they attract and how they present themselves and the people they want to attract. And at that time it was it was really laid back. Yuck, you turn up at church with your bare feet straight off the beach and you got, you know, kicking off the sand as you come in kind of thing. And it was a bit... It was a bit nasty. The carpet was a bit stained and grotty and it was in an industrial area, part of town. And it was kind of, it kind of felt like you could be whoever you wanted to be there. And so whoever you were was accepted. And it, they, there was no pretense about it. There was no trying to be nice or try, like nice as in look nice, you know, trying to present a, an acceptable face. You could just turn up as you were. And that I found attractive. And 
and again, you know, I was I was a teenager, so the music, the band was certainly something I was attracted to. I was a musician myself. At the time I was working, I'd, I'd left school at year 10, so I was already working when I was 16. Thin sort of entertainment sphere kind of thing, always drawn to the creative side of things. So I kind of felt, oh, wow, here is my tribe, or is this my tribe? You know, here's this bunch of creative, slightly grubby, you know, come as you are kind of people. So I started going to to Great Big CCC and I was there by myself, like without my parents. So I'd actually sort of stepped away from there oh, under the covering and, and, and yeah, sort of really found my feet there. And, you know, down the track, my parents did end up actually joining me. They sort of saw how great it was for me and how I'd found my, you know, found my faith tribe. I'd found my belonging with this group of people and found an expression and so I listened to all the hey change your life and come to bible college for next year kind of thing and by going and doing creative arts college I absolutely was 100% or 110% found my people I you know it's like it had taken me however many years of wafting along and finally I fit I was the the square peg in the square hole and that everything that that gives you was in that place. And over a series of time, and I remember myself saying this to myself, and this is long down the track when I was on staff and working really long, long, long hours and giving it absolutely everything. I remember saying, you know what? My whole life is in this place. I've got my friends here. I didn't have any non-church friends, you know? My family is here. My work is here. Like every part of my life was within the four walls of, of the building and within that community of people. And that, in terms of what you can't leave behind, that sense of belonging and the sense of contributing to something, the sense of which now I see as and can be interpreted as arrogance, of, no, of that real sense that you're right, you know, you've got the answer. It's, it was massive. And I didn't know and had, had not really known anything outside of, you know, that, that sort of a, a faith community, whether I felt I really belonged or not. So I'd finally found it. So you'd gone from your medium size and you'd upsized to a whole meal deal. I'd upsized. I had the super size. I had the super size drink. I had the fries on the side. I might've even had some cookies and the, you know. You had a Sunday. I'm certain you had a Sunday. And, and as we know from our Miracles and Healing episode, McDonald's is, in fact, a gift of God, um, and there's a bit of product placement. So can we get some context? What year did you join Triple C or C3, PO, as they're now called? And what year did you step into full-time staff? I joined the church in 91. And, oh, God, that just, you actually do the maths on that to today and you go, well, actually, that's part of what pandemic and COVID brain and calendars are sort of all over the place anyway. But that's a long time ago, right? Which is, again, why is this stuff so fresh? Interestingly, that's around the time that B and I joined Great Big AOG in our state and city, isn't it, B? Well, but also I started my Christian journey in a triple C in 1989 and was going Get to out. one until 1991. Well, there we go. Look at that. It all comes together. Might we ever have met B? No, no. I think they were different cities. 
Um, so mine was a very surfy one as well. And I remember actually when I, because I had, of course, had to go up the front when there was an altar call saying, hey, who wants a part of this? And I went up, I remember the pastor praying for me and me going through that old sinner's prayer. And at the end he goes, it's better than getting stoned, isn't it? I went, look, it's up there. And um, <laughs> and then I went out, I was 17, I, I went outside and had a cigarette. Like I was just shaking. I was like, what the fuck have I just done? And I was having a cigarette and I had about two or three people come up to me and go, do you want to be healed from that? I thought you'd be healed from that when you said this in this prayer. I was just like, no, I just want to finish this cigarette. But yes, so anyway, we digress. But yes, I was a triple CI. That's how I started out. Yeah, well, I always found Triple C when, you know, when we were in Great Big AOG, Triple C was where the music was coming from. This is before Hillsong. Mm. Hillsong was just this music conference that came out of this Sydney AOG church, right? Yeah. And so Triple C was Phil Pringle and, and the music and the lights, and it seemed really flashy, which is kind of different from what you're talking about. So maybe the way it was sort of projected onto other Pentecostal churches as opposed to what was really going on is somewhat different. Look, it certainly got a whole lot slicker and a whole lot more produced um, as the years went by. But back in those days, yeah, there was a, a full band up on stage and, yeah, they sounded great and, yeah, they did all these album recordings and, you know, I'm sure there's there was – I saw that great uh, post in the Facebook group about what are the songs that get stuck in your head. Oh, gosh, there was a few of those. Yeah, it still had that sense of – I mean, there was certainly no production lighting and – you know, we still had the overhead projector slides, you know. There's someone up on stage with the overhead projector. God, those are the days. Because the senior pastors were creatives themselves and had sort of grown up within a little bit of that hippie, laid-back, creative scene, they they were really into the whole, you know, developing great music. And there, something I remember is that they would only sing their own songs, so they'd only do their own in-house Hottest 100, and even when Hillsong did start emerging and coming out with some, you know, great music at the time, we'd never, they'd never sort of cross-pollinate. They'd sort of wanted to very keep strongly within their own family and within the within their own brand. So, but no, though it was, it it was a, I think of wild days in terms of you know, producing these albums and the amount of work and the hours from volunteers, volunteers, doing, yeah, doing everything over and above just to to put out this, what we saw as being great music at the time. Was it? Yeah, some of it was okay. It was all right. It was all right, you know. Bible college in which was creative arts because I got drawn into that. I'd, I'd left a job working with within casting like production like film and tv casting actually casting for you know well-known tv and films and because I wanted to go back and study music full-time this was my great opportunity take a year off for the lord do that and I was already with my tribe I'd found it's like well I just want to throw even more at it you know let's throw my Monday to Friday nine to five at this so bible college creative arts was 93 and then I started working full-time at 94 um, so 94, 95 and 96, I was on staff full time. And that during that period, there was the shift from, which was a big geographical shift. It was a physical shift, but it was always a, also a shift in terms of culture and the way the church presented itself in terms of the building. And, you know, obviously they went through like so many churches do the, the building program, 
you know, let's all raise funds to build a building. Um, so that got us out of the slightly skanky warehouse um, into a very, very nice, lots of comfy chairs and carpet because, you know, the Lord deserves the best and the stage with the lighting and the, you know, more professional everything, much more slick produced. So do you think that's when it became much more on the road to what it is now? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I know a lot of um, people, I know a lot of friends sort of felt that as well. At the time, we actually thought it was a good thing. We were we were upping the ante. We were, you know, we were becoming more professional. We were becoming more attractive, but to a different type of people. So maybe you felt less like you wanted to turn up and more like you actually had to dress up. And, and I remember being told that, hey, we've got this nice building. Let's all now present ourselves. Let's all dress up and bring our best selves. Let's live our best lives and bring that to church. Yeah, so how, how much is intentional and, and done out of purely wanting an outcome that you think through strategically like any business plan or how much is actually, you know, just totally doing everything with the best intentions, just honestly wanting to see, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and believing, look, this is, this is for, we want people to live their best lives. We want people to be a part of this because we are totally sold out and believe it's the only and the right way. I feel, I feel that way about even the Revival Centre, which I will say, you know, is unashamedly a cult. I do believe that the leaders genuinely believed what they were doing. I, you know, they became as much victims or as much cogs in the wheel of the system, or however you want to look at it. I don't think that there's very many people, at least in my experience, that were faking it. Mm. Maybe some of these visiting preachers, I'm, I'm not sure. But definitely the people that were running the churches that I was involved in, it seemed like they really believed it. So I have no doubt that people like, you know, Phil Pringle and Brian Houston and, you know, whoever else yeah. um, believe what they're what they're doing. Yeah, it's that whole the heart's in the right place. They're trying, you know, coming from a good centre. I think, I think so. I think there's people are genuine um, about it. And I think we said this before that there's very few people that are in there maliciously yeah, or, or there. For, you know, there's a lot of people there for self promotion. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But I think most people, it's good intent, and they go in there to help people. And I think there is a genuineness. They want people to find what they've found, what they've got, and want to be part of that. There's yeah. there's no doubt of that about that in my mind anyway. I think a lot of even those narcissists, you know, we could we could list off the names of the people that get the Facebook group going, you know who you are. Um, but I think even they oftentimes genuinely believe it. It's coming through a complete warped worldview and a complete warped psyche, but yeah. they genuinely believe what they're what they're on about. What's interesting though, I, I think if if you think about those who are on that the inside, really in that inner sanctum. In our chat with Bart Campolo, he talked about he knows some very high-profile ministers who are there and they're faking it. Um, they're there because they actually don't believe it anymore, but it's not safe for them to come out because it's not a safe environment for them to go, you know what, I actually don't believe it, this anymore because they risk everything. Their worlds will fall apart because they've invested everything in it. So, you know, how do people do that? How do people deconstruct and, and deconvert when you've got your world invested in it mm. and you risk losing absolutely everything? A it's something that I find quite interesting is when I've, and it's only recently, in fact, one of my uh, also former church friends who I'm still in touch with, 
I, I made a comment or I posted something, which is a share from something that was in, in the Facebook group. And they said, wow, you've really come out now because I still have Facebook friends from, um, from the church days. And, but I've, but I, you know, I, I've kept my journey to myself for a whole lot of reasons. And when I shared the, it was that video of the YouTube video, it was on the other day. It was very, very funny about Pentecostal churches. And it was interesting seeing who commented and who liked from my old life and all those people who commented and liked I've now who I might not have spoken to or chatted to for years I actually just dropped them a line and said hey so how do you feel about what happened 20 years ago you know where, are you, where what's happening you know you want to chat do you want to have some drunken zoom drinks you know so yeah but I find interesting is the people who have not come from a church background or have not come out of a fundamental church but see everything only from the outside all they see is the they're just after your money whereas actually if you've been inside you see the the gen, what you know, I feel is like you say, genuine heart. Actually, this is not just about the money, at least not in the beginning. That's just a, that's just you know, a blessing for the pastors. You know, you know, let's just do that. We see so much more because I think we do actually have, we have seen the hearts of the people who are behind these organisations. What are some of those things for you? What are some of those things that are there that you see in people's hearts? The good stuff, the stuff you miss. Well, it's it's. A lot of what we've talked about, you know, it, it's that being with your tribe, finding your people. Find, and what is it that you look for? How do you know when you're in the tribe? You know, you, you find people with similar goals, similar drive and a passion. You find people. Similar values. Similar values. You know, I actually, oh, my God, I've just had this flashback to a song. And this was actually, this was actually a Hillsong song, which was all over the world, people just like us. You know, that was one of the lines from this song. And that's the thing. You look around you and you see people just like you, you know. They might not look like you physically. They might not be raising your hands or clapping like you do because, you know, I was a little bit different when it came to all that within the church anyway. But you found people who's like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm safe. So you find safety, safety of people who get you. You find a sense of contributing to something that's bigger than you that's you're helping so all that stuff tied up with you know long volunteer hours some of the things I think back to I did like when you did the bible college and the volunteering thing one of my jobs at bible college was doing the ironing of the senior pastors of their family while trying to also hold down a part-time job and that kind of thing. So, see that freaks me out. Can I, oh, can I interject? Sorry. sorry, but that just yeah. freaks me out because it's freaks like, what has that got to do yes. with building the kingdom? You know, doing the ironing. You know, watching. I mean, all, all the and it's funny because it's so gender based as oh, well or gender biased. Totally. But I was watching the 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 younger girls and they were girls sometimes, younger women babysitting and and the, the the boys and the men would you know mow the grass and all this but they would do it at the pastor's house on the weekend it wasn't necessarily even just at the church they were going off and doing these things and these guys are on salaries right and they had they had money and they had stuff and meanwhile we were trying to keep these part-time jobs exactly what you're saying and yet here we are doing more for them yeah I know, I know, yeah. But that, that actually brings me to think of, uh, remind me of a, another thing I used to say to myself, apart from, you know, my whole life is in this place. And this was when I was doing really long hours. It might have been when a new album was being recorded or there was some big event or something happening. It actually didn't bother me 
it like it, I don't care if I'm being taken advantage of and if I'm being used for my free labor because that's not on me that's on them I'm doing this from the right heart for me I'm doing it because I'm totally serving Jesus that's what you know that's why I was doing it and if someone else was seeing it another way just as free labor well that's their shit you know that's that wasn't me and that was yeah that's where that was my center of working that was where I worked that was my center I worked out of for three years so no one could say you didn't really believe this no one could say you weren't really committed you were you were enmeshed you this was coming from the heart yeah absolutely absolutely there there is no doubt and when it when you come to all the good stuff you know if we're if we're building more on that I think a really big part was feeling like you are giving feeling like you are and it's not giving of necessarily money um, because hey I was on a full-time church wage but it was about giving of yourself in your time because I really wanted to help this vision you know I wanted to to see this you know and when the senior ministers would come up with a, a new vision or a new thing for the future I'm like yeah I am so there I was signed sealed delivered absolutely sold out and passionate and there's no question you know I, I think back to some of those words that people have over you and I remember this visiting prophet you know calling me out once and saying the only line I remember actually is you don't know how to lose your faith do you you've been you've you've had this for a long time you'll never lose your faith because you don't know how to you know looking back now it's so interesting seeing things from a completely different perspective and the journey of from then to now which I said is still evolving and I'm still working stuff out as I go just seeing things from a completely different lens so how did that all start? Because you were, for most of us anyway, looking at here you are at CCC, right? You've got a full-time creative ministries paid role at CCC and you're in there for years. Exactly. You had arrived, sister. You were there. How did it start to turn? How did you, how did you begin to leave? Not necessarily the faith, but even just the church or even just the role. How did you step out of that? What, what prompted that? I think it's really connected on reflection. I think it's really connected to my past of having been through many different flavors of the Christian ice cream. You know, it's all, it's all ice cream. There's just different flavors. Like I don't like mint chop chip and some people do. I was about to make a comment about Pentecostals being the hokey pokey, but anyway, I'd always had a deep respect to use theological terminology, ecumenical approach to the ways that we perceive God and the ways that we see the big, the big G-O-D, you know. And I respected that it was actually cultural and some people, and personality too, like some people just don't dig the big band. It's not their jam. Whereas some people are like, you know what, I just want to light a candle and burn some incense and just ring a bell and just sit by myself, you know. Other people want to do the whole let's get into scripture and let's be, let's be the Baptists with our, you know, biblical preaching and teaching and I'd always seen that there was not not one was better than another it's just you've got to find your jam find where your where your slot is you know and because of that it, it I think informed 
my exit interview and my my departure or stepping into the departure lounge as we as I like to call it I had this absolutely you know those one of those spiritual supernatural moments which you talk about in terms of if we're looking for my authentic story it was an afternoon in the office I'd walked into the auditorium and this was a big auditorium and all the lights were out and there was nobody else there it was absolutely quiet and I went down the down the front onto the carpet just to have a bit of a bit of a DNM with with the Lord and I just this absolute wave of I can only describe it as a sense of feeling at that one point in time when I was connecting what I thought was supernaturally with uh, with God that there were people all over the world in whatever culture community gender socioeconomic difference politically there were people all over the world doing exactly what I was doing at that point in time from their own heart and their own voice in whatever way they expressed it and it wasn't Pentecostal it was everything it was all the flavors of the ice cream and I walked out of that going having look you know what we used to call a revy I've just had a revy you know I've had a revelation how do I how and, and it's not a revelation that was readily accepted I think within Pentecostal circles because you know there's this sense that they've got the best music, the best production, the best lighting, the best everything. Why would you want to go somewhere where you just light a candle? I thought, how can I tell this story of this thing? Um, and that over several months um, developed into the desire to want to write a book and to go and not so much write a book. I wanted to go and meet these people that I had this sense of them at that point in time. I wanted to pick up a, a camera. I was pretty keen photographer at the time, pick up a camera pick up a recording device, like an audio recording device and go and hear their stories and ask these people that I'd sensed in my mind, why do you do this thing called worship? Why do you want to connect to the divine? What is that? How does it make you feel? How, what language can you put around that that's not church language? Like if you had to explain that connection, that experience with people who have no understanding of religion or God, how, how would you describe that? So this was outside of Christianity. You were thinking you want to just connect with as many people who are having an encounter with the divine or was it within the Christian framework, albeit a broader one? This was within the Christian framework. So this was just the Christian ice cream. Um, hadn't gone to gelato or anything slightly edgy like that yet. <laughs> that might have come later. <laughs> but um, because, again, I was so convinced that, you know, Jesus was the only way. He was the way, the truth, the life. So any if you tried to come at the Father any other way, you know, that wasn't quite, you know, legit. I then set about doing a bunch of research for a year to try and find people and connect with people all around the world. And then I um, broke it to, I'd, I'd actually walked this journey with my pastor. So not the senior pastor, but just the person who was my pastor at the time. And he was like, he was very creative and he was into it and passionate and said, yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, this is great. I love these stories. Yeah, if you're feeling you're called to go and do this, you need to go do this. Cut to, you know, a year later, I'm hopping on a plane with not a whole lot of money in my back pocket. Um, I'd got a little bit of sponsorship from, you know, film companies. So back in, this is actually so, so long ago, I was shooting on slide film. So what year would this be? This was 97. So 1997, and I'd had amazing doors open to me. So I was, you know, it was at one point in time where I was flying out 
in an to an, a US aircraft carrier in the middle of NATO war games in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you know, with an arrested landing and a catapult takeoff. It's like the kind of stuff, this doesn't happen to 20, 23 year olds. Like how did, how did this kid from the suburbs end up landing on an aircraft carrier, living there and then flying between them for a few days in a helicopter to go and interview service people about this kind of really deep, important stuff? Or how did I end up in you know, tiny villages in South America and all this sort of stuff, asking these, having these conversations, which, <laughs> do you know, the thing that haunted me all the way through was all over the world, not only was there that line from that Hillsong song, but they were singing, shout to the Lord in all different languages all around the world. Or there was also another, um, was it all honour, all power, all glory, something like that, would just turn up in countries all around the world. But I was also touched, I was also, and trying to stay away from Pentecostals and Charismatics. I was seeking out the Orthodox, the Coptic, the, whether it be the, um, you know, the Southern Baptist or all sorts of things to try and get this different perspective on trying to, trying to touch, trying to communicate, trying to engage and connect with, with the divine, um, with God. And the broader tribe. And the broader tribe. Yeah. Yeah. How long did you do this for? This sounds amazing, by the way. <laughs> That's an, just an incredible experience. But how long did you do that for? This was a year. So I, I had to take a couple of months off. I, I mean, it was I was away the whole time um, and I had to stop in some places to actually just earn some money. So I'd stop and get a job, you know, in a few different places. And, you know, it's a year of experiences that I went through. You know, I had some pretty shitty experiences during the year. I had some things go quite wrong. Well, you know, at the time I was so, so full of faith. It's like, God, I know you've brought me out here. And I know that if, if really bad stuff happens, like let's say I get, for instance, you know, kidnapped in LA, or let's just say I have a really bad psychotic reaction to an anti-malarial drug in South America, you know, in the middle of Brazil, that's okay because, hey, God, I know you're in control. So I, I still had this absolute utter faith and that I was doing the right thing and I'd been given this gift of this project to do and it actually kind of didn't matter, you know, what happened to me as long as I just kept kept doing this, this thing. And I remember thinking at the time um, and now on reflection because there's, there's a story to what happened at the end of the, the project was... I felt like God was saying to me, it doesn't actually matter if this book gets published. It doesn't actually matter. What matters is that you've you've said yes, you've picked up your camera, you've picked up your tape recorder and you've gone, you've done this thing. So it might not have been to actually tell the stories publicly. Maybe it was just something that needed to happen in me. Like that sounds really selfish, but that's kind of, and maybe that was just me telling the story I was telling myself of, you know, if it all goes to, to pot and, you know, and it ends up to being really shitty at the end, then that's actually okay. That was my out. But it turned out to not be shitty at the end, which was good. But what did, one of the things that did deeply change me and disappoint, it was a disappointment and, a, and there was certainly a sorrow, was that I had left the church and my family, you know, my family within the church to go and do this project out on my own. And I never heard once from the church during the time I was away. Interesting. So I had friends who were in the church who would 
you know, this is pre, this was actually right on the cusp technology wise, 97, email was just starting to become a thing. You know, I, I went and got my first Hotmail account, but I was still faxing. So I would write these long, long, long emails, uh, sorry, not emails, faxes at the time and fax them through. And I'd never really hear back. I never heard from my pastor. I never heard from the, the senior ministers. And, and even though, you know, in their minds, they said they sent me out. They, you know, we prayed for you. We sent you out and, you know, we said, good on you and off you go. And it's, it's a similar thing when a lot of people, I think, leave a fundamental church is as soon as you've stepped away and you're not visible and you're not there, it's not like, it's not a, a specific, like a shunning. It's not like that kind of thing, but you're not on the, um, what I like to call the roundabout. Like, you know, those ch children's playground equipment that they don't make anymore because kids kept breaking legs but big round turntable type thing where you jump on board you well, actually you'd start running around the outside holding onto this thing building up speed beating up speed building up speed then you jump on and it keeps spinning around and the only thing you can see when you're on the roundabout is your other friends on the roundabout with you and you're having a great time and you're going round and round and it's great and you've got the wind in your hair and everyone's laughing and smiling and this is great it's so fantastic isn't this great but the world outside is a blur and then as soon as you step off the roundabout, it's like suddenly the world comes into focus and you can see everything outside. You go, oh, my God, look at this. Look what's out here. And you also realise that you weren't actually going anywhere. You were just going around and around, but there was a lot of movement and a lot of momentum. And you're having a lot of fun. And my experience when I came back from this trip away and this project was I tried to get back on the roundabout. But it was going so fast and it had been spinning while I'd been away that I just kept getting bounced off and I couldn't find my step to get back on. And I tried and I tried and I tried and I didn't fit anymore because I'd seen something else. I'd seen the other. I'd seen answers to questions that I'd had and I'd also seen that it's okay to have questions and never have answers. But back on the roundabout, it's all about having a nice, clean answer to everything, as long as the answer comes from within the roundabout. That was my experience um, when I went to Country Town AOG. When I came back to Great Big AOG, I could not reconnect. And I was looking at them going, what the fuck are you people doing? This is just ridiculous, you know. And, and I actually started to challenge a few people and, and it wasn't received well at all. So I can totally understand that what happens is you step outside of what you're calling the roundabout and not only did you see the broader tribe, but the broader tribe broadened you and you just don't fit back into that small little picture anymore. You know, one thing I want to throw your way is you didn't leave in a bad way. You didn't leave having, feeling burnt, feeling used, feeling, you know, abused. None of that. You actually left in a good way. Yes? No? Yeah, yes and. So the yes and is that, yeah, I tried to come back in having had this experience. And when I came back, I was hyper aware that the places, the people, the experiences I'd had and the change that had happened in me, what I'd learnt wouldn't be, wouldn't necessarily be well received as, you know, a topic over coffee at the, at the church's cafe after a, after a service. You know, so I made a really concerted effort to not talk about my experience, even though friends had said, oh, how was it? It's like, how do you sum up 12 months of mind-blowing experiences? 
um, I'd just say, oh, that's great, but how are you? And I was kept trying to try it because I didn't want to raise conversations that would be not welcomed in the, um, in the church. And did that come, see, because you had tried and you'd already seen or you knew in advance this just wasn't going to be received? I knew in advance it wasn't going to be well received. So I purposely tried to keep my mouth shut. And this is, this is it, like you said, I wasn't burnt, I wasn't angry, I wasn't bitter. It was just, it's just, it makes me sad. And I was very sad at the time. I was trying to get back on the roundabout, trying to plug myself back in, be connected. And I was at work and I had a phone call from the senior pastors or someone on, someone in the senior senior leadership team who wanted me to come in for a meeting. And I remember like, A, that was really weird for this person to call me because I didn't really have much to do with this person. I was like, okay, can you tell me what it's about? No, no, we'll look, just come in and we'll, we'll have a chat. Well, that's never good. That's never good. That's never good. And when just, you're asking, what do you want to see me for? And no, no, just come in. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, you know where this is going. So I, but again, my heart is still like, I really wanted to connect back with my old tribe, you know? And so I went in there and then I walk in and, oh, there's the, you know, some very senior people and my pastor sitting in the room. And they were telling me, things that apparently I had been saying about my experiences away and things that I'd said. And I said, I asked them, can you tell me exactly what, you know, trying to like, I guess it's like get as the, uh, as the defense, as opposed to the prosecutor, I was trying to get the, the evidence. Can you tell me what I've said? Or who, can you tell me who told, said these things? You know, thinking these are, this is a big sense of betrayal. Like I must've said something to a friend who's then had a discussion with someone else who's, you know, Chinese whispers ended up sounding like I was, yeah, slagging off at, at the church and how Pentecostals don't have the answer. It's actually, there's much more to life. But they wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't give me the the answer. They wouldn't tell me who said things. They couldn't tell me exactly what it was. But that I'd just been spreading bad vibes. It was that kind of, you're just spreading bad vibes. And I remember sobbing through the meeting because I was just, I felt like, I was this, the tribe that I'd been my family for so long, I, who got me and I felt got earlier, they didn't get me anymore. And, and now you're on trial. And now I was on trial and my pastor didn't say a word in the whole meeting. And, and I think the trigger for me to go, you know what, it's, it's one way or the other here was when towards the end of the meeting, after I'd said, no, that's it. I really will commit. No, I'll absolutely keep my mouth shut. And you know, I said, I've just got questions. They said, that's great to have questions, but if you've got questions, come to us. Mm. And report up, don't report across, don't report down, report up. Yeah. That's what Fiona said in our earlier interview. She was talking about that she was told you report up and it's hard because sometimes they're the people that you have the problem with. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. And they said, oh, and, and we hear that you're about to move house in with, you know, some other people in the church and this one person started to say, and we don't think that's a good idea. And like, then I just sort of like stopped. I was like, are you telling me who I can and can't live with? And one of the other seniors went, oh, no, 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 no. And, and kind of actually put that aside. It's like, no, 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 that's no, no, you live with whoever you want, blah, blah, blah. And, and that was kind of like a moment to me. I went, ah, oh, does that, is that really the types of, control and power and sway that 
a church or people in leadership should have. So without naming names, thinking about roles, who were the people in that room? What were their roles? Were they middle leaders? Were they upper leaders? Who were they? Can I? Yeah, I, I, pr- I prefer not to say. I would prefer not to say, but it doesn't get much higher. But having said that, again, I, I touch back on what I said earlier, like intention and heart was absolutely, I believe, in the right place. You know, wanting to do the right thing, but had set this this organisation that really was passionate. They really, you know, and they do a lot of great stuff. Um, was not malicious, was never intentionally trying to be negative or bad. So out of this incredibly painful, incredibly hurtful and confronting situation, what came out of it? Was there an aha moment? Was there something that, I guess, shifted gears for you? Or did you just walk away broken? Uh, it was actually a bit of both. I left the meeting giving them an assurance that I was absolutely committed more than ever and I'll be at every service and I'll turn up on a Sunday and I'll go to, you know, small group or all that stuff. And because I, I did want to check into myself and actually test myself, well, maybe I have stepped out of line, you know, well, have I done something wrong? And I want to be able to self-analyze and, and check in. Is that, have, well, maybe I have stuffed up. You know what? I'll give this a red hot go. I'll suck it up. I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll, and I'll just make it between, I'll go back to that mental space I was when I was traveling, which was, it's just me and God, nothing else around me, that the building, the structure, the, the programs, the endless programs and activities. It's not about that. I would go into church, but I would sit up the back and I, I've never been a really fourth, you know, big hands in the air, exuberant, physical, traditional Pentecostal in terms of praise and worship. As I found when I was traveling much more into that sort of early Christian mystic kind of the mysticism about spirituality. Like I just want to sit up the back and shut my eyes and light a candle, you know? So I'd let worship and praise just wash over me and I would feel transported and I would feel as though I was having these connections with God, but I wasn't physically demonstrating that. But I guess that's the thing, you know, and and, and the, the cliche was because I know all the, you know, as we all do, you know, oh, they're sitting up the back, that's so close to the back door. You know, oh, when you start sitting up the back and, you know, looking a bit contemplative, oh, that's, you know, oh, you know. Yeah, you're on the way out. And so that was the departure lounge. But the departure lounge for me was a place that it wasn't a, a, a definitive shut the door. I was, yeah, as you say, it was an incredibly hurtful experience to feel um, betrayed and rejected and misunderstood and also feeling um, accused of something that you weren't you didn't do and that you were given no evidence um, to support their argument. I just, you know, I, I went in there going, you know, I'm going to keep my heart's heart right, my spirit sweet. It's just me and God. And actually, you know what, but before long, I just didn't, you know, it was much better sleeping in on a Sunday morning. More and more the trigger, the change in me was when I did go, there would be things that I'd hear and experiences around me that would just jar that they never jarred with me in the past in terms of you know just just things that were taught that would oh that now I'm like oh do I really think that actually no that doesn't sit right with me see now you're starting to resonate really strongly with 
the episode that we had with Josie McSkimming, who talked about these sites of injury, right? And what you're talking about there was there was basically, I mean, I'm sure there were a number, but there was one in particular that was just crushing. And, you know, as we say at work, I wanted to give you an HR appropriate hug when you were telling that story because, and I, I seriously could relate to so much of that because I've had very sim- similar experiences myself. So really, I just want to say to you, I get it. And I know B gets it too. And a lot of people listening get it. And so I really appreciate your honesty and telling us that story. But the other thing that resonated with me back to Josie's episode was then you started to have this pastoral revolt or this protest within yourself that when they would say these things, you would say, no, I don't believe that anymore. And then came this strength and then came this person that you always were that's starting to go, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to excuse the fact that I don't raise my hands, that I don't sit at the front. This is actually an expression of who I am and even my, my religion, my spirituality. So, so kudos to you. Thanks, man. The departure lounge, I think, is a, and, and I feel in many ways like I've been sitting in the, in the departure lounge for, you know, a good 10 years after that. And the best description I came up for the journey was, I felt like a spiritual asylum seeking refugee, feeling like you're, you've, you've left the country that doesn't accept you anymore, or you feel unsafe in, and now you need to find a new country, you need to find a new home, a new tribe where you can feel safe. You know, there was, there was, you know, several churches I went to after that, trying to find this new safe place. And either I'd just sit there and sob for six months in the, you know, people thinking there's this basket case who's, who's come in. And, you know, and interestingly, you know, you'd see a few familiar faces sometimes. You go, oh, yeah, hang on, I remember you. Wait, didn't I know you five years ago? So what sort of churches were they? Where were you, where were you going? What the first one was a smaller independent Pentecostal church that was really, that, that, and the, you know how most churches or the, the particular pastors have a particular strength. That, oh, they're really good teaching or actually really good pastoral counselling, the HR appropriate hug, you know. And this one was re- like, I, I was like, wow, this is awesome teaching. And it was teaching that I wasn't every 10 minutes going, oh, that's, ouch, that doesn't sit right. Ouch, that's not right. Wasn't Jesus all about hanging out with the widows and orphans? You know, actually I was getting what I believed to be my my interpretation of, of the Christ, of Christ. But then I also, the thing that started awakening me was just understanding and recognising things that I'd been blinded to in the past, stuff about gender and the roles of women and feeling actually, you know, having that part of me awakened to feel uneasy about being in a place that didn't seem to recognise and value the role and the voice of women or that they did, but it was within a women-appropriate roles, like, you know, you're doing the, the children's ministry or that kind of thing, which just, you know, makes me cringe. Um, not that I don't like kids, but, you know, I don't have any. So there was that, yeah, Pentecostal church. And then I went to another one, which was a little smaller, but a little more charismatic and less Pentecostal, the old let's meet in the, the primary school hall. And then the one that I actually felt, the most connected into was actually quite an intellectual, heady one where the pastor was actually uh, a former big CCC member himself, but was, you know, university educated and really went into 
pulling apart scripture and and getting into the into the whys and the hows rather than just the building theory around stuff. So he was already in the departure lounge himself. Yeah, a little bit after me. Yeah, yeah. But even after a while, it just started to feel like, can you get involved in church? You know, and as you start to, as it, as churches start to grow, they need volunteers to run the different programs and the activities. And again, it just became easier to sleep in on the Sunday morning. And actually, I started spending more time, which is, I guess, brings me more to where I am today. I have a really deep connection now um, with nature and with the bush. And so on a weekend, I would much prefer to go into the green cathedral, stand under a big towering giant tree, listen to, you know, the streams trickle past me and the wind in the casarinas whistling and stand on a hilltop at sunset and look for what felt like forever and to stand inside an air-conditioned building and sing another song that was written by some, you know, white man. No offence. There's many, I'm sure if you said that within your old scene, would say, oh, She's become a new ager. She's a spiritualist. Oh, she is such a spiritualist. She's such a fucking tree. Well, I wouldn't say that. I, I have developed a potty mouth, though, I have to say, and it's quite empowering. It does that when Satan takes over your life. Yeah, I know. I have to go. Can you lay hands Fucking seat buckler. That's what you should have Oh, that's right. <laughs> fucking bought a Honda and I should have bought a Yamaha. Um, so, yeah, no. And so the bush and the outdoors and in terms of finding that place to connect now with the divine, you know, with God, with whatever, like I said, this is still a work in progress, you know, I will always be a work in progress, is through um, stepping into an environment that doesn't ask anything of me than just to come as I am with my brain, you know, be smart, take what you need to go into the bush to be safe, but just sit and be. And it's about the the being, not the doing, that's been a big sort of thread through most of my story in life. But it's also led to the ability to to look for other places to find that connection and that tribe. So not only, and, you know, there's things like bushwalking clubs or there's friends who go hiking with you or whatever, but getting involved in search and rescue, you know, as a volunteer, suddenly that, that internal part of, you know, me and a lot of people that wants to contribute. And yeah, we used to contribute so much in churches. We used to just give and give and give and turn up and yeah, be passionate and amazing. And, and you know, there's places we can do that all over. You know, the world is full of, of need. And if you've, got the, if you've got the square plug for the square need hole, you know, there's always somewhere where you can, where you can give in that way. So see, I'm going to ask you a question and you can tell me to stick it up my ass because it may be coming from an old framework, but I'm going to ask you, because I'm sure that people are wondering, so where are you at now? And what labels do you wear, if any? And in terms of who you were, mm. right, you were, you were a Pentecostal Christian that was a, a you know, fully defined label. Where are you now and all that? I feel like my eyes and my heart has been sounds like a Christian cliche I feel like my eyes and my heart have been opened I feel like I'm seeing things a lot clearer and I think I'm seeing how judgmental and what a small narrow focus I had before 
because I was on that roundabout and all I saw was that. But by stepping off and seeing the colour and the life outside, I'm able to see so much more and and ask myself, do, is that right for me? You know, I think I'm a lot more of a of a person now who sees the value within many different faith groups, not just the Christian flavours of ice cream. For myself, the, the whole Christian mysticism stuff is still what resonates the most with me within a na- nature framework, looking to see the, the fingerprint of God in nature. But that that being or that sense of God is so much bigger than I ever and indescribable, unwordable, because, you know, I feel that churches try so hard because of to appeal to different cultures and personality types or whatever. They're putting God in a box saying, look, here's God. There it is on a box. That's what we're worshipping. And this is how we do it. Whereas the very nature of this divine spiritual being, whatever, is that it's so big and so unwordable, you can't put it in a box and define and say, that's it and that's how we're going to, you know, because we've, we're only human. Our brains are only so big. How can, you know, how can I conceive the universe and the planets and other, sol- you know, the solar system and everything outside? It's too big. So I like having more questions and answers now. I like not putting God in a box and saying that's him and putting a label on it. I like being open to, to think that maybe I've been wrong in the past. You know, maybe the arrogance of defining God as being this one particular thing is, is the be all and end all. I like now go, you know what, I don't know. But, hey, let me look at that and sit that in my hand and, ha- and look, try and look at it from different angles. Let me try and do away with any form of bias I might have had to, to look for evidence that confirms my own suspicion. You know, no, I want to actually throw that away and think, think bigger, try and think outside a definition I will now go and and put my hand on a trunk of a tree and you know stick my feet in a in a stream and drink out of it and just feel as safe and actually say much safer in the middle of the wilderness you know 50 k's from a concrete road than I ever did inside a church you know off a track I'll feel so much safer and I feel surrounded by life and by nature and by other created beings, trees, animals, nature. Yeah, totally new age, hippie, trippy shit, you know. But it doesn't judge me, you know. It doesn't judge me. It doesn't tell me I have to be a certain way or wear a certain kind of makeup or even turn up in makeup or even have a shower because, you know, I won't have a shower up there. I, I, look, I think the new age, trippy, hippie shit is definitely a label which is applied from a certain lens. Um, so we don't apply that, but oh. um, some people of your past may. You know, reflecting on all those things that are hard to leave behind, those things that you've talked about, do you feel like you've reconciled that now or are you still on a journey of reconciliation? I think there's a journey and this is where I feel I'm right. I'm at right now is actually forgiving yourself. You know, I have no regrets about having given so much of my life and for such a long period of time to within an organised, formed structure of a church or churches. So I, you know, forgiving yourself for what might be seen as, as, oh, lost time, I wasted so much and, oh, the world was so full of colour and brightness before, but, you know, now I've got to catch up. Right now I've, I'm loving 
not to not to blow it up your asses, guys, but I'm loving the, the tribe that you guys are making, you know, that you've created this sense with, with the potty and with Facebook and also connecting with other people from my past who've, who, you know, I'm finding that tribe as well. If, we're, if we want to find people like us who get us, we look for people who've gone through the same thing, you know, oh, look, there's, there's other people who just, we nod and we go, oh, yeah, you had that too? Yeah, I get that. You know, and that's another form of connection and we need connection. And so, so right now I'm still work in progress, but I, and, oh God, I love that you were recommending therapy to people because I can tell you that to work through some of this kind of stuff, to actually talk to someone and particularly, you know, a therapist who has experience in whether it be spiritual, church abuse, that kind of thing, trauma is so invaluable. And just to give you perspective on stuff. So, yeah, I'd, if anyone is, is feeling that they, they can't shift out of the, the bitterness and the anger, because you don't want to keep going around in a loop, you know, you've got to get yourself out of that and because you're missing the colour and the, the wonderful movement off the roundabout if you just keep looking at the roundabout with bitterness. See, that was amazing, genuinely. I know that there's going to be so many people that are going to resonate with what you've shared and where you're at. I know listening to those stories, especially the the trial, that's what we're going to call it from now on, all right, the trial. I've been on trial a number of times in in my experience and what Josie McSkimming talks about those sites of injury and also that pastoral revolt. You know, I just I just want to celebrate that and say well done really for not only standing up to it eventually um, but also knowing who you were and and becoming who you are. One of the things that we've tried really hard to do with this season is we want to have people that have ended up in different places. So we've all come from a similar starting point, but some people are over there as atheists and some people are over there as, you know, tree hugging mystics and other people are over there as, you know, liberal Christians and other, and it's all okay. Yeah. You know, when we've got our own places where we've arrived, we make fucking podcasts, right? And that's okay too. So we want to celebrate you, celebrate your your vulnerability and your honesty, but also where, where you've landed. Because for some people listening to this, that's going to be where they want to go. So thank you for doing that. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, B&T. Thanks for, for offering the platform and actually just approaching what and what I like about the the voice that you guys have is it is about, it is non-judgmental, it's, which is refreshing, but it is about a, an arc, a journey, recognising we're all still on a, a work in progress and a development. And we will, you know, until the day where we're horizontal permanently, you know, it's, and that's what I want. I want the colours to keep, I want to keep discovering colours and asking more questions and, and being okay to ask those questions and not feeling that the only people with the answers are, uh, are upwards, but around me and, uh, and having the, having these kind of conversations is actually super healing. So thanks for um, an hour of therapy. That was great. Where do I send my, where do I send the, the check? No, no, first one's free. Um, but we yeah, do pres- that you have to pay. We prescribe that you need 35 more. Okay. You know, so. First taste is free. Oh, After and, that, you pay. Oh, and when do I get the, the merch? Go on to Redbubble and you can get merch. Here we are. <laughs> we're, we're four weeks out from Christmas. I love this little segue because I am right now wearing my long sleeve. I was a teenage fundy top. Um, I've wrestled it back from my partner who has been wearing it. So she'll get one for Christmas. 
But uh, get on board, get on board and get some red bubble stuff for Christmas. Get it for your kids, get it for your grandma, even if they weren't fundamentalists, I don't care. Get them some. Get them on anyway, yeah. Well, this has been great and I've really appreciated, really appreciated you coming along and being part of this. You know, next week, B, we're going to tell a little bit more of our stories. It's going to be one of those episodes where we talk to each other and and share our shit and it's it's kind of therapy. Thanks again to everyone for being a part of this today and for, for listening in. We look forward to seeing you in Facebook, in our Facebook group, um, or, you know, w- whatever other platform that you want to engage us on. So we look forward to hearing from you and hearing your thoughts. And I think, see, you were saying that you might make yourself available in the Facebook group. People want to chat and talk with you sure so that'll be really good we look forward to seeing you in there absolutely come hug a tree with me (laughs) sounds good awesome see you later people